0: Thank you for bearing with me. How is everybody? Yo-ho! Yo-ho all right. So uh, grab a Bible, and we are going to uh, read a little bit in John's Gospel. Page numbers are up on the screen. Um, we have been going through the Gospel of John, if you're uh, new here today. And uh, we are finishing out Chapter 3 today. I'm not going to read all of Chapter 3 Or the end section, but a good chunk of it. And um, we will move on to chapter four next week. So, John chapter three, beginning at verse 22. And I'd ask you if you could follow along. John three, verse 22. Then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time with them there, baptizing people. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing at Anon near Salem. Remember, we had met John the Baptist a few weeks ago. Because there was plenty of water there, and people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to John and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people, and everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. John replied, No one can ever, or no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you I am not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. All right, we're going to uh, stop there. A rabbi a Hindu priest and a preacher, are in a car. They run out of gas, and they are forced to stop at a farmer's house. The farmer says that there are only two extra beds, so one person is going to have to sleep in the barn. The Hindu says, I'm humble, I will sleep in the barn. So he goes out into the barn, and a few minutes later, the farmer hears a knock on the door, and it's the Hindu priest. He says, there is a cow in the barn. It's against my beliefs to sleep where there is a cow, and so I can't sleep in the barn. So the rabbi says, well, I'm humble. I will sleep in the barn. A few minutes later, uh, the farmer hears a knock on the door, and it's the rabbi. And the rabbi says, "Um, there is a pig in the barn, and it is against my beliefs to sleep where there is a pig. I cannot stay in the barn. So finally, the preacher is forced to sleep in the barn, And a few minutes later, there is a knock on the door, and it's the pig and the cow. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so um, this is not so much a joke, but a truth, and you have to listen carefully, okay? A young man was leading a big youth night at his church. He thought he was very cool. He had his lesson already, and he strutted up to the pulpit. He opened his mouth and found that nothing would come out. He stuttered and tried with all his might, but finally, he just walked down off the stage with his head hanging low. He asked the pastor later, why couldn't I speak? And his pastor said, if you went up the way you went down, you'd be going down the way you went up. Here's our question for today. What is one way life has humbled you? All right, so if you're willing to be honest, transparent today, um, we will start with this question, and Bill and James are gonna run the microphones, get their attention, you stand up, speak directly in the mic, give us a brief answer. Who would be willing to help us get started? What is one way That life has humbled you. Before I was diagnosed as bipolar, I grew up where there were years where I was always very successful, and then there were years where I could do nothing right. So I always learned from a young age that even if things are really good, there's always the flip side of the coin. Hmm. Ah, thank you. Thanks, Heather. My name is Tom. Uh, I always said that I would never say my parents' words. But when I became a parent, they apparently escaped my brain. <laughs> yeah. That is a humbling thing. <clears throat> <clears throat> uh, I'm Greg. Uh, biggest thing that ever hit me was uh, hitting my rock bottom and humbling myself so bad that I had to finally uh, give in and ask for help. Yeah. Thanks, Greg, for saying that. Howdy, I'm a dick. <laughs> and uh, uh, what my former wives and former friends had to say about me in a documentary that was made about me, where you actually see it, was most humbling. Yeah, thanks, Richard. Yep. Hello, I'm Elias uh, I have six kids, six daughters. Oh, my. Yeah. (laughs) If it was a contest, you would win. So, yeah. (laughs) Amen. Good morning, church. Um, One of the ways that uh, life has humbled me has been uh, drug addiction and homelessness. Yeah. And thank God when the Lord delivered me from drug addiction... I've never went back that route, but the homelessness, um, I I came to uh, the New Life Center because of that, but it wasn't for drugs. Thank God for that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Daniel, for your transparency. Yep. Hi, Lighthouse, I'm Louisa, and one thing that I can think of is the situation with my brother. Uh, and realizing how helpless and powerless I am to control his behavior. Yeah, that's thanks for mentioning that, Louisa. Hey, Church, I'm Big Mike. Hey, Mike. Um, one of the ways life has humbled me is just simply I was on top of the world down in Memphis in the transportation industry, and uh, apparently God wanted to send me a clue by foreign. I had a stroke, Mm -hmm. and it brought me back down to reality and um, brought me back to uh, realize that I wasn't on top of the world the way I thought I was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Okay, anybody else? We got time for one more. We'll do one more in the back back there. Yeah, hi, my name is Chip, and uh, what is one way life has humbled me is uh, it's not how much time you got, it's how you use it. Uh, Yeah, thank you for sharing. We're going to wrap up with Steve here. Hi. um, Yes, uh, one way that life's humbled me is many years ago, I proposed to a woman in a hospital room. Ah, yeah, thanks, Steve. Um, I I appreciate your transparency so much. Uh, We discussed that at Spirituality Recovery if you'd like to return and have conversation with us. Um, When I was growing up, a few years ago, um, there was a song that was pretty popular on the radio. It was sung by Mac Davis. It was produced in 1980. Um, I was graduating from high school. Um, Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble. Yeah, few of you know it, of course. Uh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking every day. To know me is to love me. I must be a hell of a man. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. Uh, I'm going to tell you something uh, this morning. Um, I am finding that the older I get, easier it is to be humble, because life and aging seems to take care of that on its own. Um, And yet, I I even say that, I wrote those words, and I I thought, yeah, but there's a lot more to it, isn't there? Uh, So then I wrote these words, "Um, but in front of the world, I still want to appear like I've got everything together, Right? Um, and so, you know, if I go out into the world, I want to say, "Look at me! I've got life put together." Tell somebody, "Oh, good grief!" <laughs> I remember. Uh, I remember this happened years ago, um, and uh, when I, we were fairly new down here, and I, I remember somebody coming up to me. They'd, they'd been coming to church for a while. I was a young person, and uh, they came to me, and they said, um, Dale, I'm glad to, so glad to be here. I love coming to a church where even the pastor, and he stopped. And um, I said, is messed up like everybody else? <laughs> and, and he said, yeah, that's what I mean, that's what I mean. <laughs> Turn and tell somebody I'm a mess too. Turn back and tell them, yes, you are <laughs> hmm. you know, if you come to lighthouse church um, regularly, um, you will find that there are, are some things that I tend to assume about you um, and I, I don't i don 't know if they're true. Um, you can assume them about me. <laughs> um, um, I assume that you are probably or have struggled with something in your life. Um, I tell people all the time that we tend to specialize here in life's hurts. And many people come here because something's not going right. Um, many of us here deal with mental health issues, addiction issues, our relationship issues, Heck, we've just got issues, right? Um, And I have found that our issues can be humbling. Uh, One of the things I wanted to share today, uh, something that most of you will already know, but we need to be reminded of once in a while. If you are seeking to recover from your issues, one of the challenges we face is learning what we do have control over and what we don't have control over, right? Right? I mean, if you're working a 12-step program, that's like step one, um, where we really begin to kind of evaluate, what do I have some control over, what don't I? Um, Frankly, um, I think that you and I get this mixed up all of the time. I know that when I go through things in my own life, um, and I have struggles, that I'm getting this kind of out of kilter a little bit. And I'm learning that I need to um, perhaps give up more and more control um, instead of thinking that I am in charge of even my own life in many ways. Uh, frankly, some of the most dangerous words uh, for, um, for you and for me uh, to ever speak, to ever come across our lips are these words. I've got this. Yeah, Turn and tell somebody you ain't got it. About the time we think we got it, something reminds us we ain't got it right. Yeah, uh, um, you know this uh, this recovery stuff, this adulting, um, is hard work. So, what can we control, and what can't we control? Well, um, I have learned that we can't control other people. uh, What they're going to think, what they're going to say, or what they're going to do. And um, most of the time, not always, but most of the time I can control um, my response to other people, whether I respond or whether I react, most of the time. I often don't feel like I have control over my thoughts that pop into my head or my emotions. But I generally have control over what I'm going to do with the thoughts that pop into my head and my emotions. But not always. If you are struggling with your mental health in any way, with PTSD, with addiction, um, depression and anxiety, pain, chronic pain... A physical illness. I know these things can make you feel powerless even over your emotions, even over your thoughts, and even over some of your actions. Amen? Amen. Yeah, it's the reality. That's, you know, that's what it means to be human. Um, I want to um, remind you of some verses. This, This came to my mind when I wrote that paragraph. I, I thought of Romans 7 verse 19 part of a larger section that is so powerful. Um, Paul writes I want to do what is good but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong but I do it anyway. Anybody here ever experienced that in their life? I mean it's part of the human predicament that we go through. Um, and it's part of something that we need to recognize as part of who we are um, so that maybe we can some days minimize the damage, huh? You know, I've learned to say the serenity prayer every day. Um, I say the long version, um, and, and it has become so meaningful to me. You can say it with me if you know it. Um, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference, living one day at a time, Enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I might be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Man, there haven't been more wise words penned, um, you know, in centuries, I think. It's a pretty profound prayer. Um, My own recovery has taught me um, to accept that I'm a human being, um, that I'm going to make mistakes, and that sometimes people will know about them. (laughs) Um, It's taught me that I um, need to live in the day and in the moment, Um, That I need to find ways to be transparent and honest with the right people in my life. Um, That I need to be in community where there are people who will support me and and, uh, encourage me. Um, I've had to learn to ask for help and I still am not very good at that. Work in progress. Um, I need to ask for God to work in my life And, and I've learned that if I'm in a bad way, um, that I should first run to Jesus um, and be confident of His grace and work towards correction. And um, I just wanted to share that with you because, because um, I know you. Uh, we're in this journey together. Part of being part of this community, core to this Lighthouse community, is that you and I were all works in progress. And we're going to do the best we can to not judge and to encourage one another. Amen? Yeah. That's who we are. That's who we are. Um, Matthew chapter 23, verse 12 says this. uh, Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Excuse me. Excuse me. Especially those on live stream now. You're probably having to turn your um, volume down. Um, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus spoke those words. Um, my, my own journey has been um, the most humbling thing I've ever gone through, my alcoholism, the mental health issues that I've dealt with. Um, it's, been, uh, it's, it's been quite a humbling um, experience. And here's something that I'm learning. If you pick up one thing today, if you take home one thing today, this is what I want you to take home. Um, the humble are exalted in that they have a profound and par- powerful gift to see themselves as they really are. I believe that's what Jesus was talking about in that verse. Um, and, and it's something that I think is an incredible gift of, of uh, recovery that many of us talk about, Whether no matter what it is that you are recovering from. If, if you are humbling yourself, if you are being humbled... Um, the Lord exalts us in that we have a profound and powerful gift that we are beginning to see ourselves as we really are. A human being makes mistakes, does some good things, has struggles. And here's the thing. Whenever I start to feel like I'm in control or I've got this, that's when I start to not see myself as as I really am and I start to find myself getting into trouble. You with me? Yeah. And so um, humility is so crucial in our journey and in our life. Now, because you are here, I do know that there are some things about you that um, I can say. Um, One of them is that um, you tend to think sometimes that your circumstances and your problems are special and unique. And I know that because um, pretty much everybody here believes that. And yet, we are a lot more alike than we are different. Yeah? I know that you probably think that if you had my problems, then you could complete the sentence. Or here, here's one that I think is pretty universal. If others would just do what I want them to do, <laughs> or what I tell them to do, then I know things would be better. Um, You see, these are kind of part of not just like the things that brought us to Lighthouse. They're part of our sinful nature. They're part of who we are as human beings. Um, You are special, um, but you're not special in those ways. Um, And you're not, you are unique, but you're not unique in those ways. Um, We're pretty much the same. That's the thing that I've been learning these last years. Um, that, you know, we might differ in our circumstances in many ways. Um, You know, I've maybe had a break that you haven't had, or somebody else has had a break that, you know, you didn't have. Um, But when you boil us all down to, you know, what is really in there, um, we are a lot more the same than we are different. And um, when we look at ourselves in that way, that, you know, my problems really are not that different than other people's problems, um, then we begin to be able to accept that, you know what, we're, we're all trying to do the best we can with what we've got. Yeah? Um, trying to do the best we can with what we've got. Um, in fact, one of the things I've been learning on this journey is when I see someone who is struggling more than me um, the first thing now that comes through my mind is there, but for the grace of God go I. Yeah. yeah. Could be me. So, um, that was a lot of stuff. I want you to remember that as we read a few of these verses again. I'm going to read verse 23 and following. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was plenty of water there and people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison and debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man we met on the other side of the Jordan River, that was Jesus, by the way, um, and uh, the one you identified as the Messiah, he's also baptizing people and everybody's going to him instead of us. John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it to you from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you I am not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. As the bridegroom who marries the bride, uh, it is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Uh, we learn a lot um, here. Uh, it's such an interesting passage. Uh, for example, it's evident that Jesus and John the Baptist um, still kind of had some sort of a working relationship, um, and their followers knew each other. Um, we learn in John's gospel and other places that John's disciples um, were loyal to John. Um, even when Jesus came, um, There were some of John's disciples who stuck with him, and in fact, in Acts, we find that there were some still kind of following John after John had died. Um, John had identified Jesus as the Messiah, and some of his own followers had went with Jesus, but not all of them. And in this story, we see that John's disciples were struggling a bit with Jesus' popularity. Isn't that just like us? And human nature. Like, you know, why is their business booming and mine is not? Or how can they afford a new vehicle like that? Or how can she afford to live in that neighborhood? Why did he get a promotion and I'm still stuck here in my job? Or, or here's one, why is their church growing so fast? Yes, it even happens in the church world, my friends. Of course, I'm more mature than that. So I don't have those kind of thoughts, but I know others who do. Um, and I've told you this before. This is the one I really love when somebody comes up to me and says, Dale, I just heard the best preacher ever. <laughs> Oh, thank you for sharing that with me. I appreciate that. (laughs) Uh, Turn to John chapter 3 again, one more time. Verse 27, John replied, No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. So um, I want to share three things that we can learn from John the Baptist today, okay? Um, Here's the first one. Um, John understood his place or his role. Um, And I think that that's something that we can take from this passage that could be pretty valuable for us. Um, There is much in us that is the same, as I mentioned, yet God has created you with your own unique set of gifts and abilities, and he has a call upon you to use them in his service. Our problem is that we tend to focus too much on what we don't have, what we are not, and God has given you your own unique per- personality and gifts and abilities and has created you to be the person that he wants you to be. You've been created as his masterpiece. And one of the things that we can do in this journey of faith with Jesus Um, is to learn what is my role, what is my place, and then to do the best to live it out. Uh, Here's another one. Um, This one's so important. Um, I know that for many of you, God has been walking you through some difficult stuff. Maybe it's been self-inflicted. Most of my problems are. Maybe it's been something that you didn't ask for. But no matter what it is, Your biggest struggle will be God's biggest asset in what he plans to do with you in the future. You see, God doesn't waste our hurts. God wants to use them. And so, you know, one of the things that we can do is as we think about our role and our place is think about, well, what has God walked me through? And, you know, what gifts has he given me in that journey that I can now use to serve him You know, in the church or in the community or in the world. Let me give you a little example. So, I used to be um, senior pastor in a big church. They had a beautiful facility. My wife reminded me this morning they had a beautiful parking lot, (laughs) they had a dynamic ministry. And for a while, Early on in my journey, um, I focused a lot on what I lost and what I didn't have anymore. And it kept me sick. Anybody else ever go through that? It keeps us sick. And um, now I see, I mean, this is a process, my friends, if you're in the middle of it. Now I see that God had another plan. I know that God is in the redemption business and now he has me here with all of you. My people, right? It's a beautiful thing. John knew his place. John knew his role. You and I should too. Okay, you got it? Um, It's good. It's okay to be who God made you and called you to be. You hear that? It's good for you to simply be who God called you and made you to be. Okay, here's the second thing. John knew that God would give to him what he needed to carry out his calling. He didn't have to be envious of others' success. So, another example um, out of my own life. When we started Lighthouse Church... About 10 and a half years ago, um, we had a guy who was still figuring out recovery. Heck, I'm still figuring out recovery. But we had a guy who could write and preach a sermon. Might not be the best message that you've ever heard, but he knew how to do it. That was me. And we had a um, woman, it was his wife, who knew how to lead a song and help others sing along. That was my wife, Beth. And we had a group of people um, who were encouraging us and who said that they were on board to help. Ten and a half years later, here we are. Now, let me just say that um, there has been a lot of work over these last ten and a half years, indeed. But as I look at what has happened here in this place, it is only through God's grace and God's power that we are where we are as a church family. Could not have happened any other way. Could not have happened any other way. Let me just say that I had no idea what I was getting into, and I, had, I did not envision this. It was only through God's grace and God's power. And I just want you to know the same thing. I have come to learn that that um, if everything that I am trying to do, I can do under my own control or power, then my, my vision of where God is leading me is probably not big enough. Huh? You know, we need to be able to need God and trust God um, in our life. And, and John the Baptist shows that you know, he knew what his role was, but he also knew that God would equip him with what was needed in order for that to take place. God has brought you here. He has been walking you through whatever it is that he's walking you through. God is equipping you. Know your role and trust God that he will give you what you need. Okay, here's the third thing. Um, John knew that ultimately his calling was to point people to Jesus, and yours is too. That's why our struggles are so uniquely, you know, positioned to be able to point Jesus, people to Jesus. In uh, John verse uh, chapter 3, verse 29, it says, "'It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, "'and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him "'and hear his vows. "'Therefore I am filled with joy at his success.'" Um, you know, Scripture uh, throughout is pretty clear that, that uh, the Messiah was going to be the groom and the, and, uh, the, the church or the, the people of God were the bridegroom. And so John is kind of saying, you know, Jesus is the groom and, um, and I'm just kind of the, the best man is what he's saying. Um, but I want you to know that the people in John's day um, would have understood something that you and I don't understand about the groomsmen. The best man. And that is that the best man back in Jesus' day um, was a huge role. It was a big role, an important role. It was the best man, it was that groomsman um, who literally pretty much made the arrangements for the wedding. He was the one in charge, Um, he was the one who made sure that the invitations got sent out. Um, He was the one who presided at the party, uh, the banquet um, afterwards. And Claire taught us a few weeks ago that that usually lasted for a whole week. So he had a big job. And it was even the the best man's role to ensure that the bridal party had privacy on their wedding night. Pretty big job. And uh, John says, that's my job. And now I tell you, that's your job. huh? Our job is to point people to Jesus and to arrange so that they might know the same kind of love and grace that you and I have received. Um, in John chapter 3, verse 30, it says, uh, John says, he must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. He must become greater and greater. I must become less and less. And I, I want you to know that I don't think John's just referring to kind of like he's slipping into the background now. I think John is actually referring to uh, what has become known as the infamous heart uh, up here on the screen. And uh, I didn't draw it today. We put it, we put it up on the screen. And uh, if you've been with us when we've talked about this, um, I use this heart... Um, and the arrows to talk about the difference between religion and what the spirituality of Jesus is. Religion is kind of an external kind of um, moving into the heart, and that's kind of the way that maybe some of you grew up, like in order to be acceptable to God or to the community, you know, you have to do these things, you have to avoid doing these things, and we make ourselves um, acceptable, and it's kind of an external thing that we hope is going to modify behavior and change somebody on the inside, can I just say that it never works? But what um, we talk about here all the time is that the way that Jesus works is he actually starts on the inside and he moves out. So he comes into your heart and he says, "Um, you don't have to you know, figure something out for, for me to love you. I love you unconditionally just as you are. I've created you. I've died on the cross for you. I love you unconditionally. There isn't anything that you can do today that's going to make me love you more than I did yesterday. Nothing you can do today that's going to make me love you more tomorrow. I love you. Um, And and here's the thing. As I enter your life, I just want you to live in that love and then I want to begin to walk with you. You know, it's a process. It's going to take time. Um, You might find as as uh, you walk with Jesus that there's going to be times when uh, you begin to change some of the external things on your life or some of the behaviors. Um, But it's not so that God will love you. It's that he's kind of working in your life and he's moving from the inside out. Um, And... uh, and then he just wants to be intimate with you and he knows you're going to struggle and then he just continues to work and use that to build your character. That's how Jesus works from the inside out. That's what I believe John means when he says, you know, he's going to become greater and greater and I'm going to become less and less. Because I have seen many of your faith journeys and I have seen that, that in some ways the old you is becoming less and less and the Jesus in you is growing. You know, that's what we want. You know, that's what we want. It's never going to be perfect on this side of eternity, but that's what, that's what um, Jesus is trying to do in us as we follow him and as we walk with him. That is my prayer for you, for me, that, you know, on this day, Jesus would renew that strength and that power in our hearts and, and continue to work so that he might become greater and greater and we might become less and less.